This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Today we're starting a brand new series uh, that we're calling Seasons. And so I just want to start off by talking about myself for a second, because I find myself in a really interesting season of life. It's, it's, it's really kind of strange. So I'm coming up on uh, nine years as the lead pastor here at Central Church. Um, yes, which is crazy. Yes. Nine years. No, you can clap in a second. I'll tell you when you can clap. It's when I say I'm finally out of the diaper phase of my life. You can clap then. Uh, no, I'm coming up on, I'm coming up on nine years um, here at Central, 18 years in ministry total, which is crazy. Um, I just turned 35 last week which some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're such a baby. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're so old. And I feel both of those things. It's the weirdest thing. Like 35 is such a strange, such a strange age because it's, I'm not old, you know? Like I'm not like old and rickety and breaking down and all that. But at the same time, I am definitely not young anymore either, you know? And those of you who have been 35 or in the 35 age range, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's this strange season uh, that I find myself in. I have four children as well, and this is the part where you can clap. I'm finally out of diapers with all of them. Yes, 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 I know. Thank you, thank you. Done my time. Um, But not really, because my wife and I just got uh, uh, registered for foster care, and so we're starting that journey in the next few weeks, um, which is exciting, but um, it's just a strange season in in my life. They're, they're, um, you know, the kids, the big, the growing family, the whole deal. And it's just, I found myself in a weird spot the last couple of weeks, this whole 35 thing. It's throwing me off. But how many of you guys know uh, that there are seasons in life, right? How many of you have been through different seasons in life? I mean, we have all kinds of different seasons. We have the age seasons, right? Like your teenage years is a season. And by the looks of it, most of us pretty much made it through it, right? Uh, the, and then the teenage years set up the, the 20s, right? And then the, uh, some of us made it through that. Some of you are in the thick of that. God bless you. Your 20s, the decisions you make, the choices you make set you up for your 30s. And then your 30s set you up for your 40s. And your, Did you guys know that they're all connected? Yes? Amen? Yes? No? Okay, they are. And the decisions you make now impact that later. Uh, that's another sermon for another time. But, um, you know, there's different seasons there. There's different seasons in your career, right? Whether you go to trade school or to college or whatever the case may be, you enter into the workforce at an entry level, and then hopefully you do well, and you advance, and you get promoted, and you, you know, things get better, and bigger, and easier, and whatever. Um, There's seasons in your relationships, right, in your friendships. There's seasons, there's that, like, awkward phase where you're like, should I reach out to the hem, or should I not? Should we hang out? Should we not? What are we going to talk about? And then you got, like, the dating thing, and the relationships in that way, where you're, like, dating, and then you're engaged, and then you're newlyweds, and then you finally get married after being married like two years, right? Then it actually hits, and you're married, and it's crazy, and then uh, the ultimate goal is like oneness in the end, and all of these things, and there's different seasons in that. There's different seasons with your kids. Those of you who have children, you know there's the diaper season that I've been in the past 10 years of my life, and I'm finally free from. Um, There's the diaper season, there's the walking and talking season, then there's like that like six, seven, eight, nine-year-old season where they're like super annoying, you know? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah? And then they enter the preteen and teen years when you wish they would go back to the super annoying years, right? And then there's that where they just kind of lose their mind. And then you got the young adult thing, the college thing, the career thing, they're figuring their life out. Then you got the boomerang thing where they come back for a little while and then they get it figured out and they go back out and 
Ultimately, you hope and pray that they become adults at some point, right? There's, there's those seasons in life as well. But what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to talk about three specific seasons that, um, that relate to your, your faith journey, that, rate to, that relate to your spiritual journey. There are three seasons that, that we can kind of go through, that we can kind of process through, that we're all in one phase or the other in one of these seasons consistently because it's cyclical. These seasons continue to roll on and on as we develop in our faith journey. And so the three seasons that we're going to look at are preparation, process, and promise. We're going to look at this cycle of preparation, process, and promise, and being who God has called us to be, and doing what God has called us to do. And so in doing that, we're going to look at the life and story of Moses. And it's going to be really cool because his life kind of breaks down into these three sort of 40-year segments of his life where things have shifted and changed and transitioned in so many different ways. And I think <clears throat> by spending a f- uh, just a little bit of time looking at each of these seasons, we can take some pointers away. We can take away some things that can improve our lives and improve us as we're traveling on our faith journey and growing in our spirituality and all of that. So I want to pray for us real quick, and then we'll just we'll jump right in into this first season of, of preparation this morning. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the hearts and the lives of the people who call Central their faith community. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this faith community. Seeing the volunteers yesterday who reached out to this, this city and gave a free rummage sale and just gave away all kinds of free things, us just being a house for that to happen, a place that can facilitate that sort of service and relationship is just such an honor. And we know that we're being used by you, and it's such an honor and a privilege. God, I pray this morning that as we set aside this time to open your word, I pray that it would speak truth to us. I pray that you'd soften our hearts, you'd open our minds, you'd make us receptive to what you have today. I pray this morning that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would be introspective, look inside and see where we are and where you're trying to take us and what that's going to take. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 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 Awesome. So, The story of Moses is told in like two different places in scripture. It's told in the Old Testament and it's told in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it starts in like Exodus chapter 2. That's when Moses is born. So if you open the very beginning of your Bible, it's like Genesis, Exodus. Right there at the beginning of Exodus, Moses is born. And then his story spans from Exodus chapter 2 all the way to Deuteronomy. Chapter 34. So it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is spanning the life, story, and ministry of Moses. And he dies in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Guys, that's 120 years this dude lived and had ministry and was used by God. It's covered in 136 chapters of the Bible. 136 chapters. That's crazy. And so Moses is a big deal. He was a big deal to the faith back then. He's a big deal to our faith now. And so it talks about it there, but then it also talks about him in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, uh, there's this dude named Stephen who's given like a speech or whatever to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is comparable to like a Supreme Court or a Court of Appeals or whatever, right? And so he's standing there and he's giving a, a, a report to them and talking to them and all this stuff. And in that message he's giving to them, he gives like a big stroke, broad stroke um, kind of overview of Moses. And so we're going to reference from the Old Testament a little bit series and from the and from the, the the portion in Acts chapter 7 in this series as well. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 20. Acts chapter 7, 
20 through 22 is what we're going to be looking at together. And it says this, at that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So this is kind of the big, broad strokes of Moses. He was born, he was raised in his father's house for three months, and then evidently he was placed outside. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter came and picked him up, took him as her own. He was raised as Pharaoh's, da- as Pharaoh's son, or Pharaoh's daughter's son, and then he became powerful in speech and action. So he grew and he learned as a result of being in Pharaoh's house. Now, let me just sort of set the stage for you of why this is the way that it went down with Moses. For those of you who are not familiar necessarily with the story of Moses. So Moses was raised in an era where there was this dude named Pharaoh. Pharaoh was essentially the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was like a position, not necessarily his name, right? Pharaoh, and, and this Pharaoh was the equal to like a Hitler in his day and age. And I know that's a strong statement, but it's absolutely true. This Pharaoh gave an edict or, or a proclamation of saying, we're going to kill all the Hebrew children that are born because we're going to try to control the population. There's too many Hebrews. See, at this point in history, the Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians, And so Egypt was conquering and spreading and growing on the backs of the Hebrews. And there was persecution and torture and slavery and all of that going down. And so Pharaoh says, listen, these Hebrews that we're conquering and that we're in control of, they're getting too big. They're getting too strong. They're getting too mighty. So I want to kill all the babies that are born because they can't grow anymore. They can't get any more strength. We got to to just cut that out. And so it was in this time that Moses was born. Moses was born into this persecution, into this decree that had been made. And so when he was born, his parents said, nah, nah, we're we're not doing that. We're keeping this baby. We're keeping this baby alive. We're going to take care of it, whatever. And so they decided to hide the baby for three months. Guys, that's a big deal. Think about the logistics of that because here's the deal. Moses wasn't an only child. He had an older sister who wasn't even yet a preteen. And then he had an older brother who was three years older than him. So they have this like adolescent daughter, this three-year-old boy, and then a newborn shows up, and they got to be top secret about it, right? Because I would imagine it was a lot like the Holocaust when they were going through and checking houses, looking for people that were hiding and all this stuff. And so Moses and them are living in the equivalent of like a tent city and like a little hut in their, in their persecuted slavery of Egypt, and they got to hide this newborn baby. Can you imagine the mom saying, hey, Aaron, leave your brother alone. No, don't play with him. Don't make him laugh. Don't take that toy from him. Don't do this. Don't do that. Miriam, make sure Aaron's occupied. Take it. Can you imagine how crazy of an origin story that is? Right? And so I'm assuming at three months, it just became too much. I'm assuming at three months, it became so much that they just couldn't do it anymore. The stress, the tension, the anxiety. There's no way that they could keep this child safe or keep themselves safe any longer. So at three months, they divided this plan to place Moses in the Nile River. And now they placed him in the reeds, which were on like the riverbank, where the princess found him and took him in. And then he was raised as Pharaoh's daughter's son, and he was educated with the Egyptians. He was fed with the Egyptians. He slept in their beds. He lived in their palaces. He was safe. And this all comes together to prepare him for the life that God 
had called him to live. So there are two angles of preparation that I want to look at this morning that I just kind of want to hit in this idea of seasons of preparation from this narrative. The first one that I want to look at is the preparation of Jachabed. Can you guys say Jachabed? Come on, say it with a little more uh than that. Jachabed. Guys, that was weak. Y'all sound like, come on now, one more time. Okay, Mateo was with it. Let me hear the rest of y'all. Okay, Jacobed. This is Moses' mom, okay? I want to look at the preparation of Jacobed for a second in this season of preparation because I feel like we can learn a lot. I feel like we can take a lot away in our own faith journey from the preparations that she made in her life. And so Jacobed had faith, right? She had faith that God was going to take care of her. She had faith that God was going to take care of this child. She had faith that, that keeping this child alive was the right thing to do. But more than that, she also had a creative plan. She had a creative plan to make this thing go down, right? Faith and preparation are not mutually exclusive. Do you hear me? Faith and preparation are not mutually exclusive. Yet so many of us act like they are. We act like faith and preparation are two completely separate, different things. We think that if we hope enough and we dream enough and we pray enough and we think happy thoughts enough that things are going to happen. But faith and preparation are not separate from one another. They go hand in hand with one another. You know, when I was a kid and I heard this story, how many of you guys heard the story as a kid? Like in kids' church or Bible stories at night or something? Okay, those of you who were brought up in church, you probably heard this. When I heard this story as a kid, I always pictured it that sweet little swaddled baby Moses, right, was put into this basket, which I never understood how a basket could float. You know, I was like, oh, it must have been a God thing. I don't know. Baskets don't really float. They sink. But... I thought that he was put in a basket, and then he was placed in the river, and they found the current of the river and just kind of pushed him out there, and there he floated. And they were like, hola, see you later, bye, whatever, shalom. No, shalom would probably be the thing, right? Shalom, see you later. Not hola, I don't, it, it wasn't like, <laughs> Moses wasn't Spanish, of Spanish descent, from what I can understand. <laughs> I don't know where hola came from. I think it's because Carmen is having her baby on Friday. And um, yes, which is whoop, whoop, awesome. And she's naming him Diego. And someone this morning said, where in the world is Carmen and Diego? And I was like, where in the world is Carmen and Diego? Right? Am I dating myself as a 35-year-old? None of you know what I'm talking about. Late 80s, mid-90s, best show ever, Carmen San Diego. Okay? Get with it. But I think, that, I, think I have Diego on the mind. That's why it's like, hola. I don't know. <laughs> so messed up. Why am I doing this right now on stage? This is so bad. Just stop talking for just a minute. So I thought that they would put Moses in a basket, back on track here, and put him in the river and say, all right, see you later. And he would float down the river in the current, right? And they would just be like, oh, Lord, help him. Good luck, Moses. See you later. And there he is floating down the river. And the Hebrew people are working. They're like, hey, Moses. He's like, later. And just like floating down there like a tube on a river, right? That's how I picture it. Did anyone else picture it that way coming up? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought too. You throw him in the current and, oh, look, the, the princess just happened to be walking by this giant river. I was like, oh, a baby, let me swim out there and get him, right, out of the current and pick him up in this supernatural basket that doesn't sink, right? That's, that's where my head was when I was processing kind of this story. But after researching it a little bit more this week, it was, it was really interesting. Did you know that other people wrote books at the same time the Bible was written? 
They're called extra-biblical literature, and they were like historians that wrote about things that were happening in that time, the same time the Bible was written. And so you can kind of cross-reference a lot of different ideas and thoughts and whatever. And so this week I was, I was, I was reading about this, thinking about the preparation of Jacobed, what she had to plan and prepare for this thing to go down. And it wasn't just like a, oh, hope this works. See you, Moses, later, right? This was planned and prepared because we find out in extra-biblical literature that Pharaoh had these two daughters that were over different sections of the Nile River. They co-reigned over the Nile River. And they each had a section that they were in charge of that they would check on, that they would come down and they would provide, and they would like do worship rituals down there as well because the, the Nile River was almost like a deity to them, right? And so a baby coming from the Nile River would be like a gift from the gods, and so this would be something that was super special. And so if the baby came from the Nile, rather than dropping it off at the doorstep of the fire station there in Egypt, right? If it comes from the Nile, it's something special. It's something where they would be like, oh, my goodness, wow, right? It was a special thing. And then this, this, this section of the Nile that she's responsible, she would come down and check on. And so when, when Jacobed takes Moses to the Nile River and places her in the weeds, in the, in the, um, what are the, the reeds, along the bank of the river. This is not where he's going to like float away. This is like a stationary spot where she put him, right? Meaning there was intentionality. There was preparation. There was planning taking place for this thing to go down. And so she goes and she puts him in this spot. And I'm sure, it doesn't say this, but I'm sure she reconned this spot. I'm sure she went there ahead of time and said, where does she come down and check on the river? Where does she come down to bathe? It says she was coming down to bathe. Where does she come down to bathe usually? How does this work? What time of the day does she come? Because this baby is right where she is on this massive expanse of river, right? And so there is preparation and intentionality going into this plan that takes place. And then not only that, after Moses is taken up from the river, right, Josephus tells us that that um, the, the princess grabbed Moses and took him around to her different maids and different, uh, all these people in her court to see if anyone could nurse the baby because he needed to eat. And when he couldn't, who does she contact? Miriam, who is Moses' older sister. You don't think that was planned? Of all the people in Egypt, you don't think Jacobet was like, all right, Miriam, you need to linger in this spot because here's what's going to happen. She's going to go around and she's going to do this and then she's going to need to figure out who's going to feed him. So she comes to Miriam and Miriam's like, hey, I can go get a Hebrew mom that can do it. I can find one randomly. Ends up, she comes back and gets Moses' mom to come and feed him and wean him up. You don't think that was orchestrated? You don't think that was planned? There was preparation behind that faith. Did this? Okay. Sweet, we're going to watch Succession and then Ballers after this, okay? So be ready for that. I don't know what happened. I think the internet went out on me here. Airplane mode, boom. We'll see if it comes back together. And if it does, there we go, boom. You don't think that that was planned and orchestrated the way that it all went down? She had faith and said, God, I want you to take care of this child. God, this, this is important. I know what you've called me to do. I know who you've called me to be. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit by idly and just hope that it happens, sending it downstream with good vibes and hope that the good vibes come back to me. Right? That's not the way that this thing went down. I believe that she did her homework. And listen, I can't tell you how many people I meet with and I talk to and I pray with who are like, you know, people, millennials, people, call them what you will, whatever. They're looking for a plan. They're looking for a direction. They're looking for a job. They're looking for all these different things. And they're like, you know, Sam, I'm just, I'm praying about it. I'm seeking God about it and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, wow. You're really holy. That's really good. You know, good for you. I'm glad. So where have you put in an application? Where have you, like, applied? Where have you researched? Where have you looked? What have you studied up? What kind of, you know, forward progress steps have you taken? And they're like, oh, well, um, see, 
I'm not really taking that route, you know. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for God to direct and, and to guide. And to, you're laughing because you've probably had these same conversations. And I just, I can't like facepalm hard enough to express my frustration that I feel in those moments. Because it's like, listen, it's all faith and no prep. That's not the way it works. And you can't just like faith your way into a career, Right? There's preparation. There's a season of preparation in this. Yes, there's preparation, there's process, and there's promise, and there's all these things that God has called us to, but faith needs to be coupled with preparation. And that's, I believe, is what happened with Jochebed and why this Moses thing went down the way that it did. She didn't just cast him into the Nile and hope for the best. This was carefully orchestrated, intentional preparation that went into that. And so that's the first takeaway that I think that we can look at, the first angle I want to look at in this narrative this morning. The second one is the preparation of Moses, a season of preparation for Moses. See, Moses was taken out of slavery. Moses was taken from his Hebrew family, which had to be incredibly, incredibly difficult for him, right? Because this whole time, Moses had to know that he was a foreigner. He had to know that he was different than everyone else in, in the palace. He had to know that he wasn't Egyptian. He had to know that his people were being persecuted and tortured and, and, and the, the civilization was being built on their back, right? He had to know these things. Can you imagine the feelings and the angst that he had, especially as a preteen, right? These are real people with real feelings and real problems, and so Moses is a preteen realizing that his whole family tree is out there and doing his thing. And so Moses is going through this. But listen, God had a plan. Even in the darkest hour, even in the turmoil, even in the loneliness, even in all that stuff, God had a plan working the whole time. Do you think that Moses' family felt super awesome about this plan that God was working? That they had to give their son up to rescue him from being murdered and then he had to go live in the palace? It's not like he was getting to come home on Christmas and Thanksgiving. And they were getting updates on his life, right? Every year when he took his school picture at Egypt uh, Elementary, they weren't sending him a little wallet-sized picture of his school picture so they could be like, oh, Moses is doing great. This is so wonderful. No, they're missing their kid, man. They're missing their family member. There's, there's probably a lot of angst and turmoil going on here. I'm sure there were dark and lonely and overwhelming seasons, but God had a plan in the preparation. Moses was being taught and prepared for the greatness that God had called him to. For the greatness that God wanted to do in, through, and around him. And here's the deal. It wasn't just this short time. Like, he graduated high school and it's like, dope, back with my family now. This first season of preparation was 40 years. 40 years. 40 years. That's longer than I've been on this earth. It's longer than many of you have been on this earth. We have a pretty young church. 40 years was this season of preparation, this season of turmoil, this season of angst, this season of trouble, this season of ballers. <laughs> Guys, what is going on? I'm just going to find the power button nonchalantly somewhere on the edge of this television, right? It's got to be somewhere. Unless you like looking at the rock. Do you like looking at the rock? Boom, right here. Power. Don't see it. I see a bunch of channels. I don't, okay. <laughs> yeah. Power, right on the front. Big, says power. Jeez, welcome to my life at home. I'm like, wife, my phone's not working. Jeez. Um, okay, so this season of preparation. Guys, this lasted 40 years. 40 years 
of preparation where God was shaping and teaching and preparing Moses for who he had called him to be and what he had called him to do. And so I feel like there's two takeaways that we can take from these two angles into this narrative. I feel like there's two takeaways that we can sort of internalize. The first one is this, that I had a nice little slide for that now you can't see. The first one is this, preparation and faith are not mutually exclusive. Preparation and faith are not separated. They go hand in hand. Preparation and faith, you have faith that God has called you to something. You have faith that God wants to use you. You have faith that God wants to do something in you and through you in your life. That is not mutually exclusive from preparation. That is not separated from preparation. They go hand in hand. A season of preparation is not sitting around and waiting for your turn. Do you hear me? A season of preparation is not sitting around and waiting for your turn. It's not sitting around and waiting for your chance. Oh, if someone would just give me a chance, I could do it. A season of preparation is not sitting around waiting for your number to be called. A season of preparation is not waiting at all. That's not what a season of preparation is. A season of preparation is when you're working the most and working the hardest and going the most fierce to get ready for what's to come. To make yourself ready for what God wants to do in, through, and around you. A season of preparation, if it's leveraged the right way, can catapult you into success. I would even say that success is unattainable without a season of preparation. The season of preparation is so fundamental. It's so foundational for all that God has called you to do and all that God has called you to be. The season of preparation is so, so, so important. How many of you guys have heard of the band The Beatles? I might be dating myself here. Okay, The Beatles. Yes, most of you. Okay. If you haven't, get out from the rock you live under. Google it. One of the best bands ever. Right? So The Beatles, uh, Beatlemania took place in like, what, 1963, 64? Do we have anyone that's that old that knows if that's right or not? You're not going <laughs> to reveal yourself at this point the way I just said that. Um, Beatlemania happened around 63, 64, something like that, right? The British um, the Beatles are like the biggest thing in the world. Beatlemania, the whole world is just like, oh my gosh, this overnight success, the Beatles, they're amazing, I can't believe it, where did they come from, I can't believe it. You know what they were doing before Beatlemania? They had a residency at a nightclub in a red light district, right? So they played like all night long. They played sets all night long. They played 8 to 12 hours a night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. 8 to 12 hours a night playing their songs, playing cover songs, probably making up songs because that's a really long time to play, right? And you know how long they did this for? Three years. 12 hours a night for three years. Not to mention these dudes played music their whole life. Do you know how much preparation went into them being the bobblehead Beatles? Tons of preparation. It didn't just happen. Right? Same thing with athletes. We like to look at athletes and be like, oh, well, if I was 6'9", I could do that. Not true. I've seen a ton of super gumpy, unathletic 6'9 people. Right? Can I get an amen on that? Okay? It's not just their size. These people have worked their entire lives to be as good as they are. They prepare for 18 to 20 years to eat, sleep, drink, breathe, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is that they're playing. They live this. It's the most important thing. Their preparation is 20 years before they get that two or three years of the promise. Two or three years. Five years. If you're Tom Brady in an anomaly, you can go for eternity, I guess. But they prepare so long 
for what God has called them to, for what they're going to do with their life. The preparation phase is so, so important, and it's the same is true for you. The preparation phase for you is so, so, so important. And in this phase of preparation, you should be working harder than you've ever worked before to posture and position yourself to be used by God. The preparation phase is when the real, super hard work happens. The second takeaway is that preparation is equally as important as the process and the promise. You got the preparation, you got the process, you got the promise. The preparation is just as important. You can't skip the preparation. You can't glaze over the preparation because nobody, nobody, when they're a kid, sits there and thinks, man, I just can't wait to prepare to be what I'm going to be for the next 20 years. It's going to be great. No, we sit and we dream, man, I can't wait to be a teacher. I can't wait to be this musician. I can't wait to be an engineer. I can't wait to be a firefighter or a policeman or whatever the case is. I can't wait to get to the actual position, but we spend very little time thinking about the preparation it takes to get there. And it's equally, if not more, important. We think thoughts like, okay, once I get the job, then I'll start doing the things that I need to do to be successful at that job, right? Once I get, once I'm successful on the job, then I'll start disciplines and the, the practices and the highly effective habits that I need to have so that I can be successful and continue success. Once I'm there, I'll start doing those things. No, 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 no. That's not the way that it works. The season of preparation is what makes the process and the promise possible. The season of preparation is what makes the process and the promise possible. And so the question I think you need to ask yourself and that we need to ask ourselves collectively is what is God preparing you for? Because he's preparing all of us for something. Paul says, you know, I, I continue to run the race. I have not yet achieved, you know, all that God has called me to. I will, you never arrive. You never get to the point where, okay, God's done with me. I'm living in the promise that he's called me to, and this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. If that's the case, you're stagnant. You're not growing. If you're going to continue to grow and develop in your faith journey and your spiritual journey and your relationship with God, this thing is cyclical. You go, from, you go from preparation to process to promise. And then once you're in that promise, God starts to shake it up, and you start to prepare for another process and another promise. And then there's a preparation and a process and a promise. And it just keeps going and going and going. If you're continuing to grow, this should be the cycle in your life. And so either you're coming out of a season of preparation, you're smack dab in preparation, or you're about to get there. And so what you need to ask yourself this morning is, what is God preparing you for? What is it that God has called you to next? What is it that God is doing in your spirit, in your life, in your spiritual journey? Who is he calling you to be? And what are you doing with your season of preparation? Are you sitting there waiting? Oh, yeah, it'll have, I, I, I'm putting good vibes into the universe, you know? Just waiting for them to bounce back to me. It'll all work itself out. I'm just going to throw Moses in the current and hope that it works. Right? What are you doing in your season of preparation? Are you posturing yourself in a way that you're ready when it gets here? There used to be this thing, uh, playing pickup basketball. It's kind of a smart aleck thing to say. But it was like, they would say, hey, are you ready? And you say, I stay ready. Right? I ain't got to get ready. I stay ready. It was kind of like a, like a flex on him a little bit, but I mean, you're sitting out, so that means you obviously lost, but whatever. 
But that was kind of the saying, right? Don't wait for the opportunity to come your way to begin getting ready for it. Because then it's too late. If you wait for the opportunity to get here and then you say, oh, well, okay, hang on. Let me, let, me, let me go get ready for this. Hang on, I, I gotta prepare here for a minute. You're too late. You've missed it. Thomas Edison put it this way. I thought this was funny. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. You gotta put the work in. You gotta be ready when this stuff happens. Faith and preparation are not separated from one another. You can have faith all day. God, I feel like you've called me to be a pastor. God, I feel like you've called me to be a missionary. God, I feel like you've called me to be a mother. I call like you called me to... Are you positioning yourself and posturing yourself to be successful at those things before they get here? Because if you're not, chances are it ain't gonna get here. Does that make sense? I know it seems a little harsh and a little like a gut punch to the millennials, but hey, yo, we gotta do something. The story of Moses here paints a clear picture of preparation, process, and promise. And so don't use faith to excuse your laziness, okay? Put the work in. Get to work. A season of preparation. If God's called you to something, he wants to take you there. He wants to lead you there. He wants to walk with you into that. But we can't just sit and wait for it. There's a season of preparation where we need to prepare our hearts and posture ourselves in a position for God to use us. And so wherever you are in your faith journey, you are in your spiritual journey, we're all collectively heading in one direction, but obviously we're all in different spots. And so wherever you are this morning, I want you to ask yourself those questions. What is God preparing you for and what are you doing with your season of preparation? How are you responding to that? The band's gonna lead us in another song and we're just gonna take a minute or two just to reflect just to maybe be introspective, look at ourselves a little bit and say, all right, God, what are you trying to do? Where are you trying to take me? Am I just kind of hanging out in this promise zone and ignoring the preparation and what you're calling me to next? How you're growing me and developing me? Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's something drastic and crazy and life-changing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something small and, and, and that seems small to you, but it's going to have ripple effects further than you can comprehend. But ask God, what are you preparing me for? And then ask yourself, what am I doing in this season of preparation? How am I posturing myself for success? Next week, we're going to talk about the process, which is crazy and grueling. And the process for Moses was, was really, really difficult. And the promise. Week three, we're going to talk about the promise. Moses' promise, when he shows up, it don't look like he thought it would. It's a little bit different. Sometimes that's okay and how we should respond to that. So it's going to be a really cool series. But this morning, we need to start by saying, God, what are you trying to do in me? Where are you trying to take me? And how am I using now to prepare for that? So let's pray together. God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.